Welcome to the Rev Engine Podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders get clarity on how to align sales and marketing, build a high-performing revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth for their organizations. I'm your host, Jeff Davis, author of award-winning book, Create Togetherness, and founder of Rev Engine. Hey everybody, it is Jeff Davis with another episode of the Rev Engine Podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders align sales and marketing, transform their revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth. Excited today for our guest, Jim Carr, who is joining us to tell us all things messaging. We met uh, quite some time ago, actually. I had him on my original podcast, the alignmentpodcast.com, episode 42, in case you want to go check it out, and was really excited about just the work that he does, the importance of messaging, and, and I think more importantly than anything, his connection that he makes between messaging and actually revenue growth and actually changing the business. So I think more than just an exercise in good messaging, he actually shows uh, businesses and organizations and leaders how they can use that to actually move the needle and actually get results better than what they're doing today. So I'll give a quick bio and overview of who he is, and then I'll let him obviously do a deep dive to explain his story, his journey, how he got to where he is, and then we'll get into the, con the, the actual content and conversation. So he's an author, speaker, consultant. He's also the clinical instructor of, of marketing at University of Alabama. Uh, so not only has he done the work, but he's also teaching the work, which is great, kind of have both, both of those lenses. And then uh, he's also the author of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. And then again, if you're interested in kind of our conversation, I encourage you to go see episode 42 of my original podcast, which is thealignmentpodcast.com. We had a great conversation. It was so great, obviously, that I had you back on the show. So all that said, I am going to get out of the way, Jim, and let you tell folks about you and the work that you do. All yours. Well, Jeff, thank you. And congratulations on the new podcast and the work that you're doing. I messed up in prep for this. Usually I'm I'm ready for our conversations, but you were a guest on my podcast, which is called the Manager Message Podcast. I can't remember the episode number, but we'll find it. It was terrific as well. And part of it, we're bragging on each other, but we work with similar kinds of clients and teams. The nature of my work is much the same way. I'm working with owners, B2B businesses and, and executives to help them grow through better and more consistent sales conversations. So what's happening in the field? And my own background, just to compress this, well, let's get right to ways we can be helpful for this audience. My background is a, it's a mix. So I am a PhD, but please don't let that scare anybody off. I mean, I'm very practical in the work that we do. And I do teach, but I've also been a chief marketing officer for a mid-sized private company that was in both B2B and B2C space. And for more than a decade now, I've been working with companies across industries. So if you're selling anything that is seen as complex, particularly risky, has a long selling cycle, and there are a lot of people involved on the buy side, it requires some explanation and requires your team to be out there you know, on the marketing side, the selling conversations that they're having, all the wheels to be turning in the same direction for you to stand out and gain share and have bigger, better deals that close faster. That's what we're here to talk about. It's not just sales and marketing alignment for its own sake, as we can talk about it really very profound requirements, I think, these days for you to be able to have whether you're looking for better deal size, lower cost of sales, move the revenue number, have things move quicker and build more trustworthiness and actually even more energy, I'd say, within your sales team all at the same time. Yeah. And I appreciate that recap. One of the things that you you bring up, uh, anybody that's listened to the show or even the, my previous podcast, I love people that have mixed and varied experiences, perspectives, 
functions, industries, because I think it really is a strength, especially in the day and age that we are, that you can see how it's done across different organizations, different functions, because, you know, my work is all about sales and marketing alignment. Organizations are still very siloed. And so I think it takes a very special type of leader in today's modern B2B with everything just, you know, being in the, really in the control of the buyer that you be able to see how to think differently and do things differently and make connections that not everybody sees. So that's why I love folks like you that have those kind of varied backgrounds or, and nothing against people that have kind of followed a traditional track. I just think that having a diverse mix of experiences gives you a different perspective. And I think the ability at, over time, if you look at different kinds of B2B companies across industries, it helps you see patterns. So the kind of work that I do, and I'm sure with you as well, Jeff, I mean, everything to some degree is tailored. Every business, every leader has a different competitive situation. They may have a different kind of technology or solution set, different characteristics of their sales team and their marketing teams and their product teams and operations and all of those. And yet we can see important patterns. So there are variations on the theme. And I think it's incumbent upon the leader to learn from the patterns and be able to build from there. There's nothing like the, the role of the leader in order to, to be able to improve, whether you phrase it as, we wanna transform our conversations, we wanna really change the way that we go to market. You talk about create togetherness, right? I talk about manage the message. You know, Managing, creating, these are active verbs. And the problem of being in silos, the problem of being disconnected and inefficient it won't solve itself. If we've learned anything over the decades, right? For lots of reasons, personal psychology, the org chart, we don't even need to get into all that. It won't solve itself. Left to its own devices, you'll just continue to be frustrated as a leader, as a manager. But there are some things you can do. And, and I think we can get into that during our conversation of what is the unique role of the leader? Not for you to do it all yourself. You'd be out there and, and just be the one who's bringing deals in your relationships and setting the appointments that you can't scale yourself as the CEO, as the revenue leader, but how can you intervene here in ways that you keep this a priority, you know the path that everyone needs to take, create the tools and environment that can help your team be able to stand out through their conversations. And when you talk about messaging as it's related to driving growth, accelerating growth, moving the business forward, I'll be really transparent. As a marketer, I always associate messaging with marketing, right? I will say, you know, obviously in our previous conversation, you kind of helped me think about that differently. And I think most people, when they hear messaging, don't necessarily connect that with revenue. Tell us what you mean when you say, you know, leveraging messaging or managing the message to actually grow the business. What does that mean and how does that work? And my own view has evolved over time, Jeff. A marketing guy too. Again, I was a chief marketing officer and a lot of my training is in audience research, consumer psychology, and my default for a long time, and this isn't bad, it's just a unique marketing point of view, was a lot around marketing communications, positioning, and a corporate or a brand message. What I found is that when I started getting into more consulting and speaking work and working with B2B sales teams, you start talking to some of the even high-performing, I'd say especially, high-performing salespeople, and I say, what parts of the marketing message are you using? Oftentimes they'd say, nah, <laughs> I, I'm not. I have my own relationships. I know how I want to talk about our stuff and our solutions and our right. benefits and those sorts of things. And marketing leaders are frustrated because they put together presentations and talks and white papers and demos and, and the like, and they're frustrated because the sales team isn't using it. And the sales team is saying, well, 
because it's not the right, it doesn't reflect the way that we want to speak at the ground level. So that's this gap that can exist between, we might say as a shorthand marketing done well helps position us effectively. So it, it gets the right expectations, the right promises, the right patterns that help us draw some differentiation in the marketplace. That's the marketing side is the positioning on the sales side. It's more about conversations, your ability to bring some insights in, to ask and answer questions, to tell stories and to have variations of that conversation with different influential people in the buying process through a long process. Just a couple of days ago, Jeff, you mentioned that I, I also teach at the, at the University of Alabama and we have a master's class in sales management. Okay. Just a couple of days ago, I'm having these students who are kind of wide-eyed about you know, what sales management all about. How do we drive growth? And we were reviewing a set of reports. It was Gartner, Forrester, and HubSpot. And they all, to varying degrees, were looking at some survey data and looking ahead to the big burdens, goals, challenges when it comes to revenue leaders looking forward, especially as we're getting into a time of a lot of economic uncertainty. We were hearing some and reading some very familiar themes. We have problems with, we have lack of access to decision makers. We can't pick the meetings that we want. We're dealing with bigger teams on the buying side. We sometimes lack visibility into where we are, trying to use data well. We spend too much time navigating internal resources. At the same time, the goal is, of course, market share, it's revenue growth, it's uh, oftentimes a focus on our existing customer base. So all of these things and putting these up on a whiteboard. And one of the things, by the way, that is mentioned as a major challenge across these reports and these surveys is sales and marketing alignment. We were having that very conversation. And so we were quite literally in the moment, Jeff, connecting the dots, drawing the lines between what are the goals and what are the challenges and where is this alignment show up or misalignment show up to help create distinctiveness, to be relevant to different parties in the, the buying process over time, to gain access, to get those meetings, to be efficient internally using data at the right point in all of this. So again, I mentioned this alignment just not as a problem that at the gut can cause frustration, justifiable frustration, I think, for CEOs and, and for revenue leaders, but also it's a real tangle. And I think addressing this alignment issue, particularly between sales and marketing and, and perhaps other units, subject matter experts, et cetera, is fundamental for us to be able to create the distinctiveness, to be relevant, to get more access, to get more meetings and to speed selling cycles and to improve selling success. I would say that marketing speak, marketing language, B2B has changed over time from what I've seen. And you can tell me your perspective. It's gotten a bit more conversational. It's more focused on the customer versus telling them about us. How do you resolve the difference between marketing speak and what sales is saying in the field? Because you, you you make a good point about, right, you have these high-performing sales people that look at marketing, the marketing content, copy, messaging. They're just like, no, nope, I don't want to talk about that. That's not what I'm going to do because I'm having a conversation with a real person. How do you keep consistency across the conversation marketing and sales are having with buyers, customers, without trying to force marketing speak onto salespeople because it doesn't work. And I've been in both roles and I have met marketers that try to get salespeople to talk in a certain kind of way. And I'm just like, that 
is not a normal way to talk to humans. So stop trying to force that on them. It works in a marketing context because so you know, people are reading it and they're consuming it in a different way. So what are your thoughts about creating that consistency, but also making it relevant to where it's coming from? Jeff, I agree that in general, it's getting better. I think there's more recognition from people who are accountable for revenue and accountable for profitability that this is a problem that must be solved. And there's more recognition, a lot of it with brain science and insights that we're getting as well about effective messaging. And again, when I think messaging, I think conversational primarily is that you know, don't lead with product, don't talk about yourself, et cetera, et cetera. However, it is still the case that our brains with, give us a dopamine hit when we talk about ourselves. It's pleasurable to talk about ourselves. So as great as our brains are and our collective brains across the team, we actually have to introduce a discipline about that very thing that you just talked about. So what is it that we can do? Well, I think it requires direct intervention in order to break the habits and create new ones. And then it's going to require some discipline about reinforcing the habits and celebrating the successes. So any sort of transformational effort will begin, I think, with the leader. So the leader's got to say, between our goals and our challenges, there is this central role of alignment and consistency in terms of our selling conversations, we have to solve for. And in fact, if we can solve for that, a lot of good things will happen. And here's the good news leader is you don't have to be perfect because what I see is that most teams, even if you have really good marketing teams and really good sales teams, they tend to not work together very well. And so there is a jumble in the conversations in the marketplace. If you can be better than average, a lot better than average, you'll be great, right? So perfection is not the goal, but knowing the problem, making it a priority, and for lack of a better term, give sales and marketing a great job to do together. What we're seeing is best practices. And, and oftentimes, you know, salespeople will say, ah, well, we need marketing people to sit in on sales calls or listen to recordings of our conversation. And marketing people are the good ones, uh, seek that out as well. And a lot of the work that I do is we actually engineer just that sort of a thing. We're going to create, whether you want to call it a playbook or a guide, I would say a single source of conversational truth, which specifies who are our targets, who is our ideal customer or ideal client, who are the, the key personas and influencers in the buying process, what are the stories to tell, the questions to ask. Again, bite-sized pieces, as you were alluding to before, that are conversational. And so everyone who is a messenger, everyone who is involved in carrying through that conversation, it reflects the input of your marketing folks, your high-performing salespeople and managers, perhaps in your case, depending upon your organization, maybe it's product team, maybe it's from operations or people on the customer success side, but whomever, keep it a small group, but Jeff, in short, you have to force the issue, I think, as a leader. And my recommendation, which we can talk to, is, is you focus on a few very small number of key conversations and let's from sales and marketing together, let's reverse engineer that. The outcomes that we want from those different conversations and get the language that is both consistent with our overall positioning from the marketing side, but also salespeople will go, yes, that's the way that I, I talk to customers. That's reflective of the concerns that customers and prospects have. I can do that. Yeah. Single source of conversational truth. So I really, really like that. I had not heard that terminology before. It makes sense to me. I will steal it with pride. <laughs> I will give credit, but I will steal it with pride. I like this idea. So I want to talk a little bit more about the components that go into developing a playbook like this. Because for some listening, this may be a new concept. 
let's break down the components of high level kind of what you stereotypically kind of put into that document or that artifact. And then the other question I want to specifically get to, when you talk about messaging, are you looking at like key themes across both sales and marketing? Are you getting descriptive and really getting into like the language they should use? Like how does that flush out? Of course, it can always differ by the requirements of your most important sales conversation and what your team has. But I will say that common components, and you think about what would I as the leader, there's a meeting and it could be a quarterly business review with a current customer. It could be an early stage prospecting conversation, looking for net new business or whatever that might be. So think through what are the key conversations that, that are underlying your growth plans for this year and break it down. What do you want your people to know? Well, first of all, I'd want to prioritize at an organizational level, who are we really going after? Who is an ideal customer? Many companies have put that on the paper and they've vetted that through. Others really don't. They kind of have it in their head. They've got a big list of people to talk to, but where would the priorities be in terms of the characteristics of their business and the technology and the things that they have today and where they're located and how big they are, whatever. So whatever those criteria are, so where's my priority, my best fit, where I want to have the conversations, understanding of their pressing business issues and where you might fit. And then there are also one of the, the trends that we're seeing, you probably listener living this as well. There's a big team on the buying side right now, which may involve a technical buyer, a financial buyer, a, the, the user base, whatever, for what you sell. And so the variations of the conversation are going to differ a little bit. A financial buyer or a risk manager or a, someone who's in HR, they're all going to differ a little bit whether goals and their challenges and, and where the benefits for your solution will show up. There should be an, a common understanding across sales, marketing, whomever, of what is it that's unique. So if I'm having a conversation this week with a financial buyer at that organization and next week, maybe that's on the risk management side, what are the variations there that I need to know? So I think it's at the organizational level. What are the, the main things you need to know at a personal level when you're having that sort of conversation? What are your differentiators? What are the right questions to ask? What is the right guidance that you would offer to try to move things through the different stages of your selling cycle? And what are some good stories to tell? Relevant examples, not just case studies, but conversationally. Some nuggets that illustrate your value for similar kinds of people and organizations in your past. So really think of it almost like a the proverbial box of chocolates, Jeff, right? You know, so when do I need to pull out one with an almond in the center and when do I need one that's caramel? So um, a lot of people have the stories and the examples in their heads, but they're not spread across a team and they're not kind of ready access there. Having all of that in one place, and I'm not in a repository, but actually in some easy to access form on paper, digital, you know, whatever. But you can imagine salespeople and marketing people and executives too, getting really excited about, well, yeah, here's what we need to know. And let's cut out everything else and put that together. So you're really reverse engineering the most important points of the conversation that you need all of your folks to have. And because they're working on this and co-creating it, putting it together, you're forcing that alignment. You're getting them to work on an important, vital job together. I've had times where in the absence of that sort of intervention and we get people in a room, we're going to workshop it together. They've never come to a common understanding. Of what's a qualified lead? What's an ideal customer, right? What are our real points of differentiation? So it's a great thing when you do it. It requires some active intervention, whether you do it on your own business leader or if you get some outside help to make this a priority 
make it focus. It's not just in general, we need sales and marketing talking to one another. There really needs to be a sense of urgency. I think a timetable and a deliverable that's going to be used in the field and that will get people involved and your salespeople will definitely want to be involved because that's their, their source of conversational truth, right? That's going to drive when they would say is their effectiveness, especially in a, a more challenging economic time. And you use the word discipline and why I like that is I tend to see in times of uncertainty and times of, you know, hyper competitiveness, people just kind of fall off the reservation, so to say, and they're just trying to make whatever will work. I'll say whatever I'll get in, how I get in. And I argue, and I'd love to hear your opinion is that times like this is we actually need to be more disciplined and more focused because what happens is as you start to diffuse your message, you start to weaken your value proposition. And then people think you do everything and nothing, you know, well, and then you actually end up hurting yourself and getting into situations or, or building relationships that are not sustainable, that in the end probably will negatively impact your business. Even if you do close a deal, it's just not a good fit. I want to kind of get your thoughts on how that discipline can be leveraged in times of, you know, just change and uncertainty. And what have you seen? Could not agree more, Jeff. Like you say, in times when people are feeling a little uptight, remember your customers and your prospects are feeling uptight too. Here are the types of, of people and organizations that we best help with really important problems. You can have those conversations. I mean, it's a greater sense of confidence for your team and it actually will help position you and get you access better with buyers. Everyone's looking for good answers and more efficiency and growth themselves. So I think being really clear and focused is a tremendous advantage and it actually is a bit of a stress reliever. If you really know, here's what we're all about and here are the conversations we need to have and here's where we add value and go forward that way. So I couldn't agree more. It's not hunker down. I think it's just kind of to be, to take a deep breath and focus. We know the background, right? Is that the companies that will invest and it doesn't have to just be money, but it's just time and focus during recession or a, a down economic time, they tend to gain market share disproportionately during that time. And they come out yes. the other side in a really strong position. So this is a great time actually in more uncertainty. I think both requires great focus and discipline and also gives you a wonderful opportunity to actually grow your business when everybody else is, is hunkering down and, and worrying about it. A piece about this that um, you're talking about habits and, and discipline that I would point out here is the components of whatever your playbook, your guide, your plan for your selling conversations. It should be things that are coachable trainable and coachable over time. So those different elements that I spoke about, it may be asking questions, telling a story, how to gain, generate better opportunities with initial meetings. Those are elements in your playbook, in your guide that frontline managers can model and coach to their teams over time. So it's a process here, right? You want to, we got to get the right content. We got to get the right structure and pare that down in the way that we want our teams to, to go to market and behave in something that we can train people to simply and quickly. And then we can plan in advance. Here's how we're going to coach to it and continue to improve and then refresh the content as needed. It's not stale or stagnant, but it's always feeling fresh and, and relevant. So that's part about breaking this down into, into simple components. It gives us an opportunity to develop better content, to have something that people can learn quickly and that we can coach people to and increase and enhance their performance over time. And as you bring new people into the organization, as they go from role, maybe of, of high performer to frontline manager, they can learn this as well and be better coaches and performers themselves.
Yeah, and you mentioned something around, you know, focus is not necessarily the same, argue it's not the same as hunkering down. Hunkering down is a is stagnant, is closed off, is inflexible. I think focus, it's desperate, right? And it actually weakens you as an organization. So as you were kind of talking, what, what I visualized was your ability to focus on what you do well actually empowers you to be agile and know here's what we're not doing so we can focus on what we do well and be able to pivot if you deem necessary. And then ultimately, I, I think to your point, that puts you in a position to gain market share when everybody is diffused, not focused, all over the place. Those that have clarity in their message, as you talk about in your work, will rise to the top, especially when things are chaotic want those organizations that are focused and have a clear message and are confident and say like, look, this is what we do. Either it's right or it's not right, but this is what we do versus someone that says like, oh, we do everything. We can help you with everything. <laughs> when things are falling apart, I don't want somebody to help me with everything. I want you to know what to do. That focus works. And I think at a couple of different levels, Jeff, I agree with you. It certainly works at a personal level. When you think about the individual sales rep, the, the manager, if we have a really clear sense of here's who we help in these ways, we feel comfortable in asking questions and answering questions in sharing examples and stories and pointing out our differentiation. We have a best fit client. We're not for everybody. And we solve important problems. That gives me a lot more confidence to engage. And it also increases a lot more consistency across a team and consistency is one of the hallmarks of building trustworthiness. So I think at a personal level, helping you navigate uncertain times, it absolutely works. The other thing is if you're looking at metrics from a revenue level, from an organizational level, if you're hunkering down, if you're just kind of doing whatever, well, what happens? You may dump a lot of stuff into the very top of the funnel for opportunities that really aren't there. So what's happening? Your things are protracted then you're getting into the more of the same, right? These aren't really good leads. We're talking to the wrong people. I'm not able to have the conversations I want. We're wasting everyone's time. Our win rates go down because you're not seen as being able to do a certain thing very well or better than others. I would say at a personal level and a team organizational level, that having that clarity and that focus works. It works really well. So let's talk about how we communicate with the modern buyer. So I talk about this in my work and I've seen this theme of, we have this weird phenomenon that I've seen for quite some time in B2B that we feel like buyers in B2B are robots and that they're not humans. So you have these amazing experiences with Amazon and Zappos and all these things outside of work, right? And then somehow you come to work and it's supposed to be stale and stagnant and boring. I'm curious to see from your perspective, how has or how should B2B messaging and conversation changed over time, just across all industries. Do you feel like we are stagnant in the messaging? Is there a need for us to communicate with customers differently? Like, what have you seen? Because I, I think a lot of, especially legacy organizations struggle with this, of this is who we are, this is who we, what we sound like, this is, this is our customer, but not realizing like the buying group has changed or is changing. Jeff, I think that there, you can look at and find evidence on both sides of what you say. Like you, I will sometimes look in horror at the messages that I get on LinkedIn. Someone asks for a connection and then, you know, you get the offer full of lingo and establish absolutely no relationship there at all. And the stilted language and the, I think sometimes the desire to automate and be efficient gets in the way, makes it less efficient. But at the same time, if you think through of who are the, the companies in the 
people. For example, during the early days of lockdown, and they were saying they were reaching out to customers and friends and not trying to sell them anything. I just say, how you doing? You know, how can it be helpful to you? And there are so many good stories and examples of building really strong personal relationships uh, at that time by just being human. And we also know there are people in teams that do really well with being conversational, learning storytelling skills as one example, or just being good about asking questions and active listening. So on the one hand, we can talk about being personal, human, individual. And then on the other, there's all this automated stuff going on that I think uh, oftentimes gets in the way too. So let's remember there's a role for efficiency and automation, not really in, in human conversation. Now we're still, we don't like talking to chatbots. It's difficult, Jeff. I mean, if you're saying, Oh, now it, we used to have four people on the buying side that were on the buying team. And now on average it's eight or nine. And this goes on for months and months. There was a level of frustration. And I think it's understandable about, can't we just compress all of this? Can't we just get to the point right away? But the answer is no. If you actually have eight or nine human beings on the other side of a really good opportunity, we need to figure a way efficiently, but we need to figure a way that works for us to connect with those eight or nine people in the way so that we can sell what we have and we can be great at it and they'll love our solutions and be a, a great profitable customer for a long time. So putting myself in the shoes of the CEO revenue leader, how do I assess or what are the triggers that I should be looking for to know that I need an overhaul? I shouldn't say overhaul, it's a little aggressive, but need to look at my messaging and maybe create more consistency or work with someone like you. What are those triggers? Because I think a lot of people you know, would say the kind of the normal, like, you know, declining revenue, da, 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 da. But are there unique things for me to say, like, I listened to the podcast, Jim said this, I really need to, to really reevaluate our messaging and look at how do we move the needle with this so that we can grow the business. It's curious. What I've seen, and I've boiled it down in an alliterative way. These are the, the three main categories of symptoms that I see. And some may be more important to you at, at this time than others. I call them crickets, commodities, and cowboys. Crickets is, you know, when the crickets are chirping, right? Not much is happening. That's a lack of new opportunities. Our, our pipeline is not that great. The crickets are chirping. I find that to be a messenger problem. In other words, you're not really scaling that conversation. You might have, you might be the business leader and people are kind of leaning on you for your relationships. You may have a small number of high performing salespeople who are kind of carrying the 80-20 rule might be 90-10, right? So you're relying on a small number of people, but you need to be able to develop both within your sales team, across your organization, maybe even with your current customer base of people who are equipped to sing your praises and help bring you more opportunities. So crickets, however, you have that on your dashboard, which may be, again, uh, new opportunities and with the health of your funnel. Think of it that way. So are we lacking the ability to scale our message, scale our conversation? The second one is commodities. And that's when you, you might see it in indications like our win rates are down or we're having to explain ourselves too often. You lack distinctiveness in the marketplace. You're basically saying what everybody else in your industry is saying. This is really easy trap to fall into. So if it's product focused or if it's the things that just aren't super relevant. So if you haven't really got it down to these are the problems that we solve in a unique way and use some unique language that's not so stilted and stale. That means that's a message problem. So we got to get our words, phrases, stories, examples in line that's really interesting to people 
especially people not in our industry. The third one's cowboys and it can be cowgirls. Everyone's doing it their own way. That is the cowboy <laughs> mentality, right? I've had sales leaders and it seems like, oh, I got a few cowboys and cowgirls on the sales team. I can't tell them anything, right? And they're just going to do it their own way. And to some degree, you don't want to get in the way of success. Inconsistent at its core. I'd say that's a management issue. In other words, we need to do things to build. We're not going to try to overly script people, but at the same time, we need to somehow, whether it be through playbooks and guides and training and coaching to build more consistency, not only across our selling team, but from sales and marketing and sales and marketing and product and corporate communications and all those things as well, so that we're all on the same page. So crickets, commodities, cowboys, some of these may be more painful than others at a particular time. That'll help you give you an idea of at least where to begin. Yeah. So is that is that considered the three C's of bad messaging? The three C's of... <laughs> yeah. I put it, and I hate to say bad, Jeff. I just say, I look at it as, as yes. I mean, it's a three-legged stool and like any yeah. know, three-legged stool, if you got one leg that's weak or shorter than the others, you're going to fall in the direction of the weakness. So I, I would say if you may have this sense in your gut that there's something that we don't do particularly well, you may be looking at, uh, at pipeline health or other things on your dashboard. Those are what I'd be looking for. And some and things that we could get better at, even if we don't stink at them, that maybe there's an area of weakness that we can really build up back again and, and really stand out in our competitive space. So one topic to close this out that I've also seen increase over time in, in the B2B space is B2B influencers. You know, we, when we think of influencers, we think of, and hopefully no one will come for me for saying this, but we think of folks on TikTok and Instagram, you know, whatever, right? That, that's the image that comes to mind when you, someone hears uh, the word influencer, but they are increasing in the B2B space. They are thought leaders, people that, you know, look up to people that you may have a podcast, a book, et cetera. How do you leverage influencers and have them replicate your message for you? Because, and the reason I say that is I think for a lot of folks, marketing leaders, we probably, I think there's a general resistance to partnering with influencers. I mean, we just, as an industry, this is a relatively new phenomenon for us, but I think there's an implication there of, we need to understand how to leverage them the right way to your point, to get that message out into the marketplace. So I wanted you to share your thoughts about how do you effectively leverage this kind of the new uh, emergence of the, the B2B influencer? That's a really interesting question, Diff. And my uh, immediate thought on it, I tend to think of messengers, right? So I think about message, messengers management. So messengers, the, yeah, the most direct one is your salespeople, right? one of the ones who are out there talking to customers and, and prospects. And marketing helps in that regard. My counsel to my clients and those I, I speak to is don't think too narrowly about your messengers. So it is your salespeople. What about your current customers? Right. What about your suppliers? What about, as you say, influencers or people who have a, a special position uh, where they're talking to other people who relate to those whom you serve the best? The one thing that I would say is when you're putting together your playbook, your guide, how you're going to coach these things, different messengers have different needs and you're relevant in different ways to them. So clearly, if you're going to put together something for your sales teams, right, you're training them, right? You're coaching them. And it's all of that. You probably want some bite-sized nugget of that that goes to your current customers. If they really want to help, they like you and they want to feel smart in recommending you to their network for certain things. All right. What is the very, very condensed part of the message that you would like them to know? So they were talking to a friend of mine and, and I'd say, you know, um, gosh, you're talking about this issue of sales and marketing alignment. 
Uh, you ever heard of Jeff Davis? You know, do you know this guy? I know him. He's really good at that. I should introduce you to. So what would be the, the area that you would like, be it a current customer, a supplier, someone in your community, someone that's an industry leader, an influencer, the really bite-sized piece about what you do and the problems you solve in a certain way, what makes you distinctive that you would like them to do and, and use that as that's a little messaging track that you can work on and your marketing team can really take a central role in this too, of identifying who those people are and helping get that part of your message to them. Always valuable insights, Jim Carr. I love it. Uh, I'm so glad that we actually got to talk about this because I think it's very relevant and very timely. You know, one of the things you know, when I reached out to you that I was kind of thinking about is just this economic uncertainty, this you know, falling to that trap of we talked about before, hunkering down or just messaging all over the place to try to get people's attention. So I think you know some of the things you share, especially the three C's, which I'm going to call the three C's of bad communication or bad messaging. Which, for the record, Jim did not call it that. I'm calling it that because that's what I heard. It was, uh, tell us what it is again, because I, I really want to remember this. The three C's are crickets, commodities, and cowboys. Perfect. Love it. So Jim, if folks want to follow up with you, learn more about your work, let us know how to contact you as well as how can we get your book. And we'll make this really short. You have a rev engine. Is that why you brought in someone named Carr? Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, oh I, I did not put that together. Although it's and an unusual, is... yeah, unusual spelling, everyone. Uh, my case, Carr is K-A-R-R-H. I encourage you to connect with me on LinkedIn. My, that's where I'm most active. My website is jimcarr.com. The podcast is called the Manage Your Message Podcast. So any of those would work. I'm happy to speak with you. And just a quick note of encouragement. You know, we're talking about problems and we're talking about economic uncertainty and all of this. Messaging, sales conversation, you don't have to change your price, your product, your business model, how you distribute uh, solutions. It's just managing what comes out of people's mouths. And you can do that and make substantial improvements fairly quickly. So I would say if you're looking for an area where you can stand out, that's not expensive and that you can start really getting some traction quickly, this is an area I'd say to focus on here in 2023. Yeah, Jim, I think it's a great way to close out. We'll also put all your contact information as well as the book and the other resources that you offer in the show notes so people uh, can easily access that and, and get in contact with you. And, and if this is a challenge that you are facing in 2023 or whatever year in the future you listen to this podcast, uh, Jim's a great resource of information and, and, and knowledge. So I encourage you to reach out to him and connect with him on LinkedIn. And with that said, Jim, thank you again for your time. Appreciate thank it. Thank you, Jeff. Congratulations again on the podcast. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it. Be well. Thanks for listening to the Rev Engine Podcast. I hope today's episode provided you with some actionable insights that will help you begin the process of transforming your organization to a high-performing revenue engine. If you found today's episode valuable, we ask that you support the show's growth in three ways. First, share the episode with your friends and colleagues. Second, follow me on social media at Meet Jeff Davis on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And finally, Give us feedback on who you'd like to see on the show next. That's all for this episode. We look forward to having you join us next time where we continue the conversation on how to build a high-performing revenue engine.